Hello and welcome to the Deeper Eye podcast. I am Lara Ferris, your host. For many years, I have been passionate about self-improvement. Through this, I have met the best specialists in their field who have given me tools and the courage to pursue a new path. The purpose of this podcast is to share with you everything I have learned through the conversations I have had with these amazing people. I hope these conversations will impact your life as they did to mine. Hello, in today's episode, we will be exploring the barriers women can face in society, touching on how women and men can scale success differently and the importance of confronting uncomfortable situations. I have the pleasure of introducing Dr. Samine Shahim, and what a fitting guest for today's episode. Dr. Samine Shahim is a learning and talent development specialist, professor of psychology, and the owner of Life Clubs. And this makes discussing these topics with her very exciting indeed. I hope you enjoy our first episode. Sam, I want to thank you so much for accepting my invitation to join me and us for this first Ascent podcast. I could not imagine a better person to start the series with. As for me, you represent the empowered person I know deep inside lives in every one of us. When I first met you many years ago, I could sense the power that sat within you, the power you embodied. Your education and academic studies are clear for all to see, alongside the many roles and responsibilities. The many different hats you wear, but there was something inside of you I could identify with and truly feel every woman, regardless of formal education and career, has within them. This is why I wanted to open this series of podcasts with you to share the tools you have shared and inspired within me, with everyone who listens to this podcast, giving them the strength and hope to know that there is a way forward, that they don't need to be stuck in any situation. When I was growing up in the areas I come from geographically, I saw so many powerful women who I could sense were authentically powerful, but not living in that power. Of course, there can be many reasons that a woman doesn't live in her authentic power. They can be cultural, traditional, societal, and familial reasons. Where and when I grew up, the culture was very different, far more traditional. But I am now seeing in my daughters' and children's generations that are international and of a very different time. There is still something not totally equal in the way girls and boys, women and men are brought up. The expectation they face and even opportunities afforded to them from very young ages impacts them and teaches them these same lessons to suppress their fullest power and expression. So I suppose my first question to you is what advice would you offer young girls or those around young girls growing up in today's world? What is the best way to help them feel more empowered 
and pursue the life they authentically want to live. Thank you very much, Laura, first of all, for including me on this incredible initiative for you to try and reach more people, for you to bring awareness, to raise awareness and acceptance around important subjects. You're absolutely right. I feel very connected to this mission as well and equally honored to be working with you on this project. I think from the first time that we met, we felt that there was an important connection. And maybe a lot of people feel a certain connection with the individuals that they work with or they come across. In my role as a professor of psychology and leadership at university, or whether I was dean and executive director of a university or consulting projects that I do, I often experience a similar sort of sentiment. But what's different with you is that it's incredibly soulful. And it is, I love that you use the word authentic and that I'm so happy that you and I just didn't talk about it, that we actually thought about it, we talked about it, and now we're actioning it. And so with that, I would just like to say again, thank you, Laura, for this opportunity and a warm welcome to those friends who are listening and tuning in to listen to our conversations about this very, very important subject of what can we do to try and empower um, women, girls to live more authentically? What, what a powerful word, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. authenticity is something that is being used and discussed not only in theoretical literature, but also, you know, amongst people on social, social media, But I sometimes think that people aren't very clear about what that means. So we have to take a couple of steps back. When we look at what it means to be authentic, we have to look at what happened that we were inauthentic. What happened that, you know, we moved away or um, journeyed further from our authentic self? And That has very much to do with the difference associated with a default modality of being versus a designed modality of being. And what do I mean by that? You know, you and I met at a seminar or we uh, were together at a seminar, one of my seminars where I was talking about life happens. And I wanted to emphasize this point of life by design. Mm. Essentially, what it means is that We are all handed uh, different opportunities in life, and those opportunities are shaped by different forces. Sometimes we're aware of those forces, and other times we're not. We follow, you know, in automatic pilot by default. And it is only when we become more aware of what our default modalities are that we're able to take it and to understand how it's taken shape and to change it around or to transform it. So it is, you know, getting closer to truth. What is the truth of my design? What is the default modality? How can I make it more authentic to the way that I want it to be? And of course, we can't talk about this subject without addressing the forces or the powers that have shaped us. 
That includes our DNA, our genetics. It includes our cultural and societal expectations and programming. And of course, when we talk about this issue, you know, it's difficult to look at it from a global perspective because while we have similarities between women in New York and New Delhi, we can't discount the differences between women at these different localities, right? So cultural expectations, then we have familial expectations and a whole host of other such variables that really have have shaped who we are today. Now, what happens when it comes to living a life by design, we're able to list and identify, you know, what are these forces at play? And then what we do, we look at those forces and we look at what are some things, you know, that I can't control, but what are things that I can control, right? And when I look at wanting to design um, a way forward and to engage in transformation, one of the things that I can control is mindset. It all starts from our mindset. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree, you know, that it, it was your awakening and your awareness that resulted um, with you wanting to make these differences or or uh, wanting to address these points. And one of the most yeah. powerful mindsets are limiting beliefs, okay? Mm-hmm. So throughout yeah. life, we've been told, we've been taught who we should be and who, who we shouldn't be to varying degrees. Yeah. Now, this could come from our family, it could come from our culture and from different other forces. What would be the starting point is to look at what are my limiting beliefs? You know, these sort of statements that I tell myself, like I'm too young, or maybe I'm too old, or I'm not educated enough to do this. I shouldn't apply for this job opportunity because I don't have the right amount of experience or skills. I'm not creative. I'm not mathematical. I'm not a a good cook. All these limiting beliefs that stand in the way and and posing as massive obstacles for our progression. A couple of years ago, I heard a wonderful story that really demonstrates this idea of limiting beliefs. And it's a story of a woman who was walking past a herd of elephants. She saw these incredible, majestic, magnificent animals standing to one corner And these elephants had a rope and a block of wood attached to them. But certainly that block of wood wasn't heavy enough or big enough to hold back these majestic animals. So the lady went up to the trainer and said, can I ask you a question? You know, how is it that these elephants are standing in stationary here? Surely that block of wood isn't strong enough or heavy enough to hold them back. And the trainer said, It's actually quite simple. When the elephants are first born, we tie them up to this block of wood and this rope. And as they grow up, they learn and they get reinforced into believing and understanding that they can only go as far as the length of this rope. And they never question it and they never challenge it. Now, what's interesting is that the trainer 
and the lady who was present in this situation, they can see the rope. They can see the block of wood. Yeah. But think about since we came into this world in different cultures, in different families, with the different sort of dysfunctions and functions that we were part of, how many ropes do we have tied to us that are visible, perhaps invisible, that we're aware of, that we're unaware of, that is holding us back from being our authentic selves? And so it's very important to try and identify and to dig deep with that kind of intersection, introspection, to deepen our self-awareness of what are those societal pressures? What are those pressures that others put on me and that maybe I I put on myself? And the first step would be to engage in that process. So, So a shift in our mindset. There is something that comes to mind, something that comes back to me. A feeling I had when I was listening to you at the seminar you hosted. The feeling of being actually aware and empowered by being in charge of how I was responding to what I was experimenting. Everything I was living and going through versus being a victim of them. I had always felt I was protected somehow by being in this victimhood until your seminar. I can find you so many stories and examples that gave me the excuse of being a victim. But after the seminar, I realized that this is actually my choice. I can either live this way as a victim or use the experience to try and discover more about who I am. Try to elevate myself higher and see what these attachments that you are talking about. This then brings me to my next question that I have for for you, my children, my daughters, all of us, my generation and theirs. We are so often brought back by shame. For example, when Mm. you see your whole culture or family acting and reacting in a specific way to life and experiences, and then you see that it's not really what Mm. you want or perhaps it doesn't serve you, it doesn't allow you to blossom, really, You are ashamed for even feeling this. Now I know that no one or any external thing can shame you or Mm -hmm. make you feel shame. It's only possible if you allow it. But what I'm lacking in my knowledge and understanding is how to find this strength day to day. In those moments when we feel that shame is rising up inside ourselves. Yes. How do we move away from it? move through it and not move back into those older patterns that don't serve us as individuals. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you see, you know, shame is a very powerful emotion. Uh, And the way that I approach the concept or the idea of emotions is that we shouldn't give them values. So we need, we don't need to say shame and guilt and anger are bad and happiness and euphoria and gratitude is good. They do have yeah. an outcome and they do have consequences and the feelings that come along with it. But if we start to look at these universal emotions as necessary indicators for something yeah 
that is grabbing our attention or it's saying to us, hey, I'm here. I'm here to trigger you to think about something Mm -hmm. and to consider something. But you see what happens is most of us, Laura, we stay stuck. We ruminate with the experience of that feeling coming to visit us. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. When someone comes to your house and they knock at the door and they come and sit with you, do you just open the door and sit with them and not say anything? No. Do they just suddenly move in to your home and you don't have communication about what are you doing here? (laughs) I haven't seen you for a long time. What is your purpose? How, how have you been? What's, you know, we, we communicate and we try and understand, you know, what is it that is happening here? Why has this feeling surfaced? And, you know, to understand shame, shame can be defined as a feeling as of embarrassment or humiliation. And it arises in relation to either something real that has happened or something perceptual. Um, So the difference is, you know, I may feel shame because I let down a friend of mine. I wasn't there for her or him, but I also might feel shame because I'm thinking that I should have gotten up to give my seat to the older lady on the bus Whereas in fact, she may have never wanted to sit down. She wants to go for an exercise and she wants to go for a walk. And that's my own internal mechanism of activating Mm -hmm. shame, right? So remember, shame is not only actual, but it's also perceptual. And what happens is it gets triggered when we think we've done something dishonorable, immoral, or improper. And it actually origins from an evolutionary perspective. It's part of our survival as a species. It's a survival mechanism to make sure that the status quo is kept in check. What do I mean by that? Well, we feel shame when we think we have violated social norms. And these have to be social norms that you believe in, Laura, or at some point in your life, you may have believed in it because it's not just social norms that exist yeah, it's for other people. Sometimes you grow up with people telling you that that's the way it should be. Correct. And when you internalize it and when you're growing up at some point or to a certain extent, you may have believed yeah. it. Okay. For I'll use an example, clothing, how revealing or or how conservative clothing should be for a woman, right? We may have grown up thinking that, uh, this is what's appropriate and this is what's acceptable. And we may have adhered to it, but when we become aware of it and we start moving away from this Mm -hmm. adherence, in other words, when we start to transform our behavior, the feeling of shame is not like a click of a button that just gets switched on and off because it has taken a long time for that cobweb to become cemented Mm -hmm. or to become crystallized. And therefore, it takes some time for us to melt it away. And what you're feeling and what you're describing here, Lara, is when women of all walks of life become aware of what they're 
ashamed of or what they were ashamed of. Now they've got the awareness. And as they start gravitating or moving away from it, it's that liminal space of transition. It's it's almost like purgatory. I'm neither here nor there. And that liminal space feels very uncomfortable. Because there is comfort, as you mentioned, in certainty of norms. There's comfort in knowing what is, or thinking we know what is black and white. But when you're starting to transform and move away from something, how do we get closer to peace? By really embracing that discomfort of being okay in that transitional space that feels like purgatory Mm -hmm. and to keep doing what we have decided is right to do so that we can get closer to that feeling of transition. And then Brene Brown, who's one of, I'm sure you follow her work, one of my favorite authors as well. She talks about the fact that Laura, shame loves being in secret. Mm. Shame exists in darkness and in in uh, in the closet. Mm. It loves secrecy. When we are in these liminal spaces of transition and growth, the best thing we can do is to talk about what we're feeling shame about. If we bury our story, shame grows and it gets bigger in size. But if you put shame, shame loves three ingredients. It loves secrecy, it loves silence, and it loves judgment, Brene Brown says. But if you put the same amount of empathy, compassion, light, and kindness towards what we feel shame, then we can start to move away from it. I just noticed it myself when I shine a light on what I am ashamed of and put it out there, it immediately dissipates. Mm-hmm. It's like you're jumping into your worst nightmare. And once you've lived it, even in your imagination, it suddenly is not such a nightmare. You now know that you can live through it if it happens. It's a bit like somebody pushing you in the water and then you suddenly start swimming and you know you're going to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost as if you say, so what? So what's the worst case scenario? But again, people get stuck in that original thought and they don't move on to that. Let me ask you a question, Laura. When you say you give it light and you put it out there, do you think it matters who we talk to? Uh, about the subject? Honestly, Sam, in my case, it depends who Mm. is involved in my story and where that story comes from. For example, if I don't feel that what I'm doing follows the norms or what my culture and traditions want or rather dictate, then I still find that very difficult to talk about it openly. In fact, in many cases, I still simply won't talk about it. But if it just has to do with me, I am more and more inclined to share my fears and my anxiety Mm -hmm. and my blockages. That's really a large part of why I want and have wanted for so long to create this platform, to encourage people to do the same as I'm trying to do and have learned to do, to try and talk about 
it, about it and about everything that's blocking in, in their life, whatever that fear might be, to have the experience of talking and sharing it with others, those you feel safe around, and in sharing them dissipates those fears immediately. My personal work is to find a way to not be so worried about the other part of my life, of not being accepted or loved, being seen differently to other within my culture, and speak more openly about those fears too. This is, I think, the process of growing and evolving. Yes. This brings to my next question. I don't know if I'm right in thinking this is specific to our culture, as I know you and I come from a very similar background culturally. I have a feeling that women in general are always a bit more worried about self-image, about losing their partner or having their partner be unfaithful to them, finding someone better than them, etc. I very rarely feel that it's the other way around. Or again, that a man talk much less about it, maybe. Why do we as women live in this fear and men not seem to? Can you please tell me what you think about it? And also, are they just much better at hiding their fears? Well, it's an interesting point because you see, Laura, that we go back to this definition of success. Society across different cultures, defines success for men and women differently. So the fears that we have are very much tied in to the societal expectations and norms of what is defined as success. I can't tell you the number of times, because, you know, being a university professor for almost 25 years, I love being in that environment. I love working with Young minds, you know, these energetic, enthusiastic people from the age of 17 and 18 to 22 and watching their transformative process. If I told you the number of times young ladies would come to me and speak to me and say, Dr. Shame, do you really think I should study this subject? You know, it's going to take a lot of years. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm probably just, I'm going to get married. And my focus is to get married and to have children. And therefore, you know, my family tells me, but that's a waste of time. Why are you wasting your time? Why are you losing focus on finding the right partner? You, that's the one, that's the thing yeah. you should be focused on. Look at your cousins, look at your family members, look at your friend, so-and-so who's married now at 26 and you know, they speak about these things with such pride and admiration, right? And so our young females, our generation grows up. And again, this varies to a large extent from culture to culture. They grow up leaning back from what they would like to lean into by the famous words of Sheryl Sandberg, who is this uh, chief... um, operational officers, or excuse me, chief executive officer of Facebook. She wrote that fantastic groundbreaking book called Lean In. And so, so the young women lean back from these opportunities because in their mind, what has been programmed is that success is equal to, you know, the, your relationship. 
and the marriage and the children that you bring into this world. Whereas men, on the other hand, being in the work that I'm in, their success is very much tied in to their work and the kind of job that they have, the way that they provide for their families. And so they have lots of heart disease, cholesterol, Mm. various physical and psychological ailments that threatens their position in society based on what they have internalized to define success. So what we need, we, we need to do, and of course what happens, Laura, is that men, the problems that they experience, if we dare to generalize, they have more issues with their relationships, they've got more issues with their families, they put an ex- excessive amount of focus and time on their jobs and on their careers, and perhaps not as much on their family. And so what we need to do as parents raising the future generation, what we need to do as schools is that we need to reprogram, to rewrite, to revise our definition of success for both males and females. We have to speak to them and say, look, your success is not just tied into your relationship success. There are so many different areas of your life that you're doing well in and you're, you're successful at. It's not an all or nothing game. And we need to do the same with the men. That the fact that, you know, don't check out just because you're doing well at work, that doesn't mean automatically your family and your children uh, are going to feel taken care of and paid attention to. Oh, absolutely. When you disrupt what has been installed in you, disrupt what society has come to have and accept as its structure and guiding norms, this is where we hit a wall and where it is sometimes very difficult to find the strength to continue. This is when it is so important to live authentically and to be authentic to our own belief and guides. Over the years, when I think of the role models I have looked for and looked up to, the women who have been successful, and I mean the larger meaning of success, I have been in awe of women who have had careers such as yours, Sam. I have admired the trajectory of what those women have done, how many people they have impacted like yourself and other women who have taken perhaps different paths, the one of motherhood, for example. Sometimes those who are in difficult position for whatever reasons, I know of many women in Lebanon and of course in many other countries. I'm only mentioning Lebanon because I know a bit more about this culture. For example, women who are married to very controlling men, men who control them in different ways, sometimes just emotionally and it's hardly noticeable from the outside. Sometimes it's financially, sometimes You have also women that are physically abused and yet there is nothing they can do or they feel there is nothing they can do to change their lives for several different reasons. And yet they still raise amazing children and they get on with their lives. And I'm so equally in awe of these women as well. The women, these women who managed to sail their boats regardless of the tide and completely put aside their dream because they don't even believe that they can reach any dream. 
There is something that I take from this and that I would like to discuss with you, Sam. It's that despite life choices, opportunities, and so many other things that pay a part in each of our lives, each of the women I find myself in awe of and look to for guidance, each of them is very strong and yet has a very soft side to them. This soft side where compassion comes from and this type of person that you can talk about everything with them, about your strength, your dream, your weaknesses, everything without feeling threatened or judged. And that brings me to a very important subject that I'd like you to touch on, which is feminism. I hear a lot of people saying that a feminist is somebody who it's like a woman who wants to be a man. And there is something that disturbs me in this because it takes away this softness and this feminine, beautiful side where this compassion comes from. Could you talk a little bit about this and describe what feminism is for you and how would you describe it and how would you like our next generations to come? Which place you would like them to act from when they step into their feminine power? I absolutely know what you mean, Laura. And first of all, we need to go back to your the definition of feminism yeah. and, and the core concept of feminism, because I'm one of the biggest feminists I think you know, you'll ever meet. And yeah. <laughs> at its core, feminism is the belief in full societal, economic, and political equality and equity for men and women. Yeah. You see? And then what's happened is that this concept has been hijacked and taken into different roads and agendas. And it's almost as if people have, or a small minority of people have taken something very meaningful and something very possible and very powerful because all we're asking for is equal opportunity for both men and women. That's what feminists want Mm -hmm. at the core of it. Mm -hmm. But then they've taken it down a road that almost turns off both men and women, and it distracts us from a very important uh, and and meaningful concept that we should all embrace and understand. Mm -hmm. The next point related to what you're asking, you see, Laura, when it comes to success, and power and achievements and progression. Yeah. I think that more important than feminism or feminine or masculine qualities, mm. let's say, is the concept of emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I would love for us to explore this topic a little bit further together. Yeah. You see, when I look at successful men and women, there's one thing that they have in common they have emotional intelligence. And and what I mean by that, so in other words, there are certain traits associated with their empathy, their social skills, how they regulate their emotions, their amount of self-awareness, the way they manage their relationships. And so when I work with leaders in top organizations, leading at the helm of organizations, 
whether they're men and women is almost irrelevant. It's you can see the traits that you described. They're both powerful and they're strong, but yet they're empathetic and compassionate. They communicate very effectively, but they don't forget to listen. You know, they they have very important listening skills. They can give clear-cut instructions and directions, but they also know how to steer the heart to enable individuals to inspire productivity in them. They're not only interested and invested in their self goals, but they're also incredibly invested and interested in your progression and in Mm -hmm. your development. And I think if we try and understand the fact that it's these traits that separate exemplary people, successful people from those who may be, you know, perhaps living a life more by default. So a lot of gentlemen, unfortunately, think that by demonstrating vulnerability Mm -hmm. to their partner, that they're showing weakness, or if they show, demonstrate vulnerability to their staff, Mm -hmm. that perhaps that leaves them more open to being backstabbed or Mm -hmm. being cheated or being taken advantage of or being taken for granted. And unfortunately, that's their programming by their predecessors. Mm -hmm. But the gentlemen who have taken the risk and who have dived in (laughs) and taken the chance of showing vulnerability and embracing the traits of being more emotionally intelligent, they were the ones who I think who are most successful. And the women who have courage and they have dared to speak up, they're the ones who have said, I'm going to stand up for myself. I have self-trust and I have self-belief, and I'm going to progress to my authenticity by being the version of myself that I'm supposed to be, not the version that you want me to be. I'm going to, it takes courage, Laura. I say this, I say this, and my voice is shaking because it's it's easier to say than to do. But regardless of the fact, no matter how badly our voice is shaking or the gentleman who's trying to be vulnerable, his heart is shaking. We still have to do it because what happens is the outcome of taking these risks, there's enough people who have demonstrated the positive outcomes associated with it. And, and we have to follow their, in their footsteps and model the way for the future generation so that their voice doesn't have to shake, yeah. so that their heart doesn't have to shake yeah. and they're able to live a life of more authenticity and courage to be who they are supposed to be, not who others want yeah. them to be. Incredible. Sam, I honestly thank you so much for your time. And I really hope that this will inspire and encourage many, many people to just uh, be inspired, number one. And number two, just be encouraged to step in what they feel is uh, completely in sync with what they really want to do in their life and to speak up their truth. And I really hope that you will accept many more 
invitations mm. to come and share with me your knowledge on several subjects that are intriguing me or that I know by developing them will help a lot of people uh, being inspired and motivated to move forward. Absolutely. I know this podcast will be yes. on um, yours and my platforms, and I hope we'll have many more coming in the future. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. And um, thank you for motivating me and inspiring me. Oh, thank you so much. Let me tell you, and, and maybe I'm being presumptuous here, but you're so generous with your time, with your energy, with your thoughts and your um, collaborative sort of skills that you have. You are uh, collaborating with you in anything, Laura, is a joy. And so you're giving thank me joy you. and allowing me to participate in this. And I would be more than willing to do so. And you just thinking about uh, what you're doing inspires me. And I would just like to thank everyone who's listening. You know that we're raising awareness and acceptance about these subjects. Laura and I both hope that it triggers parts in your mind that maybe you had banished to far off places or that you had left to sleep for a while. We hope that we can wake those parts up and for you to do some more exploration in this area. The, the gifts that come about as a result are absolutely invaluable. And so thank you, Laura. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sam. I'll see you soon, hopefully. For Bye. sure. Until we have our next session. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our first episode. I hope that you were able to take something away from this conversation with Dr. Shaheem. If you enjoyed the episode and want to help and support Ascend Podcast, please share it with a friend. It really helps us spread the word. Thanks again for listening.